0: Hello and welcome to Guido Talks. This is Christian Calgi and joining me today as ever is the site's editor, Paul Staines. Hello. It's been a rather busy week this week, despite promises that 2023 would prove boring in British politics. And we've uh, had an awful lot of uh, woke nonsense, as some people would say to deal with, uh, starting off up in Scotland with the government's decision to formally block the gender reform bill that Nicola Sturgeon's government put forward using a Section 35 notice, which has had the dual-pronged benefit of both sparking a massive row about trans rights versus women's rights, and a continued debate about whether Scotland has any say over its own destiny and whether Westminster is intent on blocking Scottish sovereignty. Well, I
1: think it was obviously going to trigger the smp and it's all they can talk about now isn't it that their um desire for this bill to go through is somehow thwarting their scottish rights I, there was a survey out saying that only 20 percent of people are already keen on it
0: i mean that uh, it doesn't really surprise me and despite what uh, excellent rebranding the uh snp government has managed to do in transforming scotland from the the butt of sort of racist and sexist jokes in the noughties to the wokest part of the uk in 2022 actually there isn't much difference in the views of scots and english people and welsh people on this issue and and i think what is it only about 13 percent of the population either agree with the bill or think the government was wrong to block it but it's played right into sturgeon's hands hasn't it and uh, i think this is where the the disagreement comes for people on the right whether they're pragmatic or or ideologues is should the government have uh, played into sturgeon's hands in blocking it in this way or should they have just bitten their tongue and and let it go through what do you reckon
1: i think the politics of it work for the government they're on the side of majority for once and um you know, Scotland is only a small part of the country, and if they're representing the majority of the public in the biggest to the biggest amount, I think that will work for them electorally. And, and also, it's the right thing to do anyway. I, I don't think we want sixteen-year-olds making irreversible decisions.
0: No, and surprisingly, Keir Starmer's Labour has, uh, has been very fairly, fairly normal on this issue. He said on. Uh, the Sunday politics shows that he would wait to see what the government's decision was, and it doesn't seem like they're disagreeing with the government. Well, that whether... was
1: just typical Starm of Fence sitting. Uh, I mean, to be fair, he, has, he hasn't gone full Eddie Izzard, if you want, but he hasn't exactly put a protective arm around Rosie Duffield either. I mean, she gets the worst slagging from Labour supporters you can imagine. And I think she's sort of isolated. I mean, it's, she's frequently speculated about as being a possible defector to the Tories because she is so isolated in her own party. And you can see when you've got people like Lisa Nandy, who is in the Shadow Cabinet, saying that, you know, people down to 13 uh, should be able to decide whether they're Arthur or Martha. It's, it's, it, there is a sort of a sense that the Labour rank and file are really quite far ahead of the general population on this issue.
0: Well, it's also bizarre about how uh, important social issues are now in our political debate. I mean, you know, the main divide used to be on economics and on, on, on fiscal policy, monetary policy, social aid, and Rosie Duffield as true Labour. But, you know, this issue is so divisive and toxic, and she does seem to be in a relative minority within her party. And then you see people like Lloyd Russell Moyle, Going on these absolute—I mean, he's just unhinged. Though that, no, that is worth—if if, you—if
1: you're listening, do take time to Google Lloyd Russell Moyle. How do you say that? Lloyd Russell Moyle. Moyle. Is his name, yeah. Yes. Uh, jabbing his finger at at, at, his, at people like a sort of uh, trans Hitler character. Uh, it was truly really just something. It didn't come over as you know. All, it was mansplaining writ large, wasn't it?
0: There is this, uh, I'm sure you won't have spent much time thinking about it, but on certain circles of Twitter, there are observations that there's this bizarre sort of underlying misogyny of of straight gay men in their advocacy of trans rights that, you know, completely ignores the concerns. Sorry, did you of- say
1: straight gay men?
0: Yeah, straight gay men on the left are frequently called out as misogynists. And and I think Lloyd I, Russell I Wall, uh, Owen Jones is I, one I know,
1: of I know I'm 25 years older than you, uh,
0: plus. What is a straight gay man? Uh, possibly I mean cis. Do I mean cis? Is that the word? All right. <laughs> Re- refer to my colleagues on that one. Um, it's a, it's Just a your plain vanilla gay man is what they're talking
1: about. Isn't it? Uh, and uh, of uh, course... Uh, 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 You say that everyone, that because there's no longer clear blue water on economic issues and, you know, government intervention, uh, that it's a dividing line for Tory and Labour. Julianne Keegan seems to be in Lisa Nandy's uh, role. And she's got responsibilities for um, how this is going to be dealt with in schools, I think.
0: Yes, and, and we pointed out uh, earlier this week that despite going on a, a morning media round and breaking from the government line and that, that, uh, arguing that 16-year-olds are, are old enough to choose their own gender, her new department, departmental uh, head of scientific advice is um, someone who, uh, in the early 2010s, was heavily involved in puberty-blocking trials with children as young as 12. Uh, and oh yeah, results... and
1: was cheered on by by that mermaid by, by the Tavistock Centre. Yeah, yeah so the, the
0: Tavistock. Um, uh So I, I don't know. I presume she got a a, a bollocky, so to speak. But um, oh, I, don't, I don't
1: think I don't think we want education ministers going um, wobbly on this issue. Uh, I don't see how the Conservatives will keep any credibility with you know the the mums who are very agitated on this issue if if uh, Gillian's going off. Pieced in that way,
0: mm. but of, uh, the other the other uh, topic of debate that we've had this week is on trans conversion therapy. We learnt on uh, I think it was Sunday that the government was hoping to, on the one hand, block the Scottish gender bill, but uh, to offer up this new. A conversion therapy ban that would include trans people. It was originally meant to include trans people under Theresa May and then Boris Johnson took trans people out of the conversion therapy ban and now it looks like Rishi's put trans people back in even though, and if you are keeping up here well done, uh, even though the Equalities Minister, Kemi Bazanog is really not I, I get the sense in favour of including trans people in this bill and now she's having to come out and Mitigate this asterisk it, saying, you know, parents questioning their child about why they feel trans or uh, not being entirely embracing of the new lifestyle they want to live won't be criminalised as as conversion therapists. Um, and it's a very messy area, isn't it?
1: I, I don't agree with this at all, and I, I I don't agree with it. I think you should. I think people should be allowed to convert back and forth at will. I mean, the idea that there's something sinister about you know, religious uh, orders and denominations trying to change their members' views on social issues is just a very intolerant, I think. Uh, but you know, it's not—it's pretty unfashionable to say that. We should mention the Home Office woke document, which was the biggest story of the week, and it was just and followed up by you know the Mail and the Telegraph and everybody, where the Home Office. A civil service, which is completely enthralled to the whole woke ideology despite 13 years of conservative majority government, um, uh, you know, saying homosexual was an offensive phrase. I, I literally don't understand that, and you shouldn't call people mate.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was, it was one of the most astonishing bits of woke civil service we, we've seen. I mean, we cover this all the time, and I was reading this document that we got sent, and you know. We probably disagree uh, you and me about some of the words but I, I i was staring at it i just cannot fathom how homosexual is now is now an offensive term um you're not allowed to call bisexual people greedy which is a self-deprecating joke that i make all the time so i can't work in the home office um and you can't call people mates and this was the was it the anti terrorism, like Homeland Security Group that are having lunch meetings about language? And you just think, what on earth is going on? And the most infuriating thing, of course, is that this is, as you say, under a Conservative government. Things are not going to get better when under was, a Labour government. I, when I
1: worked in the money markets, you would call up somebody on the, you know, you want to buy three month of money or something. And the greeting was shag. <laughs> Hello, shag. <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know how that would go down now. God, I feel so old.
0: I think it's time to uh, maybe move on to a topic that might actually affect uh, ordinary people. And that, of course, was uh, what was going on on Thursday, the big uh, announcement of the second stage of the levelling up fund. The government announced, I think it was about 2.1 billion quid's worth of uh, funding for projects. And whilst the areas that uh, received these uh, large, nice pots of money for little projects were very happy, there is, of course, the the wider question, isn't there, Paul, of whether this is fair or whether this is actually pork-barrel politics.
1: I think it is pork-barrel politics as government policy. It's a, it's amazing that Labour were pretty, pretty clever in that they highlighted all the Places that didn't get approved. So, you know, only so many of these projects got through. You have to compete. There's different funds. You know, there's funds for retraining, funds for cultural things. So half of the project applications won't win their competitions. And Labour have turned that grievance against the Tories and are highlighting that it's going to areas that people consider to be well off. You know, Surrey is for featuring quite a lot.
0: It's There are multiple ways to spin it on both sides. I think some of the attacks are wrong. Uh, for example, the Telegraph on Thursday morning splashed that uh, actually the South East, the South West were getting the most money. But then if you look at it per capita, uh, they're actually at the very lower end of the scale and it's Wales and the North West and the North East. And that's obvious because they've got a far smaller population than London and the uh, the south east and the southwest. Um I know Pippa Carrera was also attacking the the outcome of the the levelling up funds because a, a renovation project in Rishi's North Yorkshire constituency was given funding, but actually that uh application was put forward by a council that I think is Lib Dem an independent run. So actually A lot of the things that look like conspiracy are are, are actually more innocent than they appear. However, the overall arch of who's receiving the money, especially if you compare like for like in terms of poor labour areas and poor conservative red wall areas, it does appear that those conservative red wall areas are winning more
1: funds. Labour needs to be careful with that because these headlines on, you know, The Guardian, The Mirror saying Tory areas are getting more money unfairly does say to a lot of voters (laughs) maybe we should vote Tory to get the money. Uh, And I know that sounds simplistic to our sophisticated audience of listeners, but a lot of people who aren't paying attention to politics and and have a very transactional view of politics Mm. and, and don't care about what's right or wrong, just what works for them... And we'll th- we'll think like that.
0: I mean, I think we we briefly had a disagreement yesterday. I'm not actually necessarily against pork barrel politics, and I think that um, I think that if you uh, want the best for your area, you should expect uh, should your MP be on the winning side to have a better time than if your MP is on the losing side. Um, well, I
1: think I think that is certainly the politics of how politics works in a lot of the world. I mean, America. I mean, in Ireland, your 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 local representative is given hell if he doesn't bring back some some of the central government money. Uh, and particularly if they're in the cabinet, and you know, if you're the transport minister in the cabinet, your area better have the best motorways and bridges going. <laughs> so, so, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, Best as a governance method. Um, but then again, was the Treasury running its ruler across things and saying it's not going to make any money? I mean, a lot of these projects, I have to say, will be white elephants and a waste of money. And on a on an accounting, book be- bookkeeping basis, won't work. Whether they're worth doing for other reasons and to help with regeneration, because otherwise things just would not ever happen in these areas, mm. is an argument that might have some merit.
0: I mean, they're going to take a couple of years to to do, aren't they? Uh, or maybe if they're lucky, they'll be in place before the next election. But a lot that's, of them do that's, seem like that's the city other, centre renovation, right?
1: That's the other problem. I mean, there's talk about Tory MPs going to the next general election, pointing at JCBs and shovels going to the ground. But actually, when the opening ceremony happens, it'll be the new Labour MP doing the opening ceremony. So it's, yes. it's the timing of levelling up when you're when you've already got two years isn't necessarily politically as as politically advantageous as the government might be hoping
0: no i mean things could have been more advantageous if for example you know the government had the capacity to function during the pandemic you know if, if boris is promised like hospitals or new school buildings and started materializing Two years ago, then maybe that would have worked in the Tories' favour. But as things stand, you know, things have just not happened for so long. Um, They're now scrabbling.
1: As always, Britain just needs to get on and build things. And, you know, the the planning process and delays in constructing anything from reservoirs to houses are just at the root of a lot of uh, Britain's long term problems.
0: It also, I suppose, doesn't help that, um, as far as I'm aware, someone who is broadly politically switched on on a day to day basis, absolutely no one has a clue what Leveling Up actually means. Um, Three years after a general, what four years after a general election? I think um, think it means everything to, to everyone.
1: The Tories are telling MPs to point at things. Don't try and explain it in kind of theory or ideological terms. Just point at actual things, which makes sense. Um, talking about uh, you know how to frame something, the Tories didn't really manage to frame Starmer going to Davos. Well, uh, Rishi went around the north, flying about incidentally in a jet, opening up and announcing things.
0: Yeah, I mean it, Davos is one of those difficult things, right? Because it's and you just fall foul of so many sort of conspiracy theories quite often when talking about it. But there's clearly a divide, and it says a lot. I mean, it's unbelievable, actually, that you've got a a system now where the conservative prime minister is opening up, you know, job opportunities in deprived northern towns. And the Labour leadership have jetted off off to Davos to speak alongside billionaires and world leaders about, you know, fiscal consolidation and, and, and competence.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. A, I hope he's enjoying the champagne, and if if he if can get a bit of skiing in, but I don't think that's really Starmer's style. Um, it's all part of Labour's efforts to, you know, not scare the horses, isn't it? You know, to appeal to big business and to try and shake off uh, Starmer's own left wing past. It's certainly impressing. I think the business community in the FT, whether it's pleasing his own left wing or the voters. And it's credible. I'm not sure.
0: It already—it seems a bit already sort of soulless in corporate. And I, I know they're playing from the Blairite playbook on this, but it's difficult to get enthusiastic about labour, isn't it? Um, especially, frankly, because I don't think the the main thing that Britain needs, as we've already said, is to actually get building. Really requires a level of libertarianism, and you know, sh- uh, destroying anti building legislation and regulation and you're just not going to get that with the Labour well, government. the problem is,
1: I think it's easier for Labour to deregulate planning than it is for the Tories, because their voters are in those affluent, nice areas that where people want to live, and they are the NIMBYs who don't want uh, more housing. So, in a sense, mm. if, if Starmer went full Blairite and uh, started being more market-orientated, deregulated planning, it's Possibly, it's possible. It's theoretically possible for him to do it more than it is the Tories. Uh, the whole situation is such a stalemate, <laughs> quagmire, disaster.
0: It also, I think, doesn't help that, in in many ways, Rachel Reeves is the portent of her own doom. Because uh, earlier this year, uh, we heard Keir Starmer promise that absolutely every single Labour policy was going to be fully funded. And then we hear Rachel Reeves at Davos claiming that £45 billion pounds of unfunded tax cuts in the Quartain Trust mini-budget caused essentially a, a market collapse, right? But actually, we've been sent uh, some quick sums by our, uh, by our co-conspirators that prove that Labour themselves have announced £45 billion, that exact same number, £45 billion in unfunded spending it just in the last 13, 14 days or so. Did you notice that the uh, fuel
1: duty tax relief that's been going on for a decade and Rob Halfon gets gets blamed for is uh, an unfunded tax cut in both their documents? <laughs> <laughs> so, so does this mean that Rishi isn't going to do the fuel duty... Uh, Tax relief, or is he? And is it going to be unfunded? I mean, I just, I just point that out as something I noticed. I'm talking of um, fuel duty and cars. Segway, Paul Brand <laughs> uh, highlighting Rishi's seatbelt. I can't even bring myself. What?
0: Well, to... well, I've got, I've got to confess that I think I may have accidentally sparked a police inquiry into the Prime Minister this week. I, I don't want to take total credit because I, I, I sort of accidentally buried the lead, but. I noticed this absurd clip of, of Rishi in the back seat of his um, police escort and, uh, you know, speaking to the camera very enthusiastically and, and, and Screen recorded this from Instagram, put it on Twitter, uh, just, you know, with with a joke caption. And it didn't take people very long to start quote tweeting my video and pointing out that he He clearly was not wearing his seatbelt.
1: Given how vehement you've been about how unfair it was that (laughs) Rishi got a fixed penalty notice (laughs) for having a bit of cake early in an office, it's going to be hilarious if it's your fault that he gets another fixed penalty notice for not wearing
0: a bloody seatbelt. He's going to end up possibly more fined than Boris. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult, right? Because on the one hand, it seems completely absurd right that, that the prime minister might get fined by the police for accidentally not wearing a seatbelt for five minutes on the other hand there's video footage it, the laws cut and dry on this and uh i think harry cole of the sun pointed out that yesterday alone hampshire police recorded eight offenses of people not wearing seatbelts whilst in their cars and, the tory, got, gov- and the tory and the tory got- government launched a new campaign to tighten up <laughs> laws against people not wearing seatbelts in about november last year the thing i don't like actually if people are caught breaking the law then they've broken the law they've got to pay the price but there's this sort of nitpicky niggling thing by journalists these days which is to try and trip up people you know on on every little thing and it's the same way that on the one hand lockdown parties and all that by staff in number 10 was one thing and i think it was Quite outrageous, that it broke the law. On the other hand, Rishi turning up accidentally early for a meeting and being in a room while there was a cake present probably didn't warrant um, a fine, but that's a mark against his character forever. So um, that's you know one upside. Boring politics. Prime Minister might be <laughs> might be forced out for not wearing a seatbelt. Who knows? Serves so right. I
1: hate wearing seatbelts, by the way. Davos. <laughs> um, at Davos. Talking of Davos, didn't uh, Keir describe? the arrangements for dealing with people's e- mitigating cost energy price rises as sticking plasters the things that he was demanding week after week after week in the early parts of the ukraine invasion
0: <laughs> i mean yeah well, it was it was it was a price cap uh, it's now a sticking plaster and as is a, a windfall tax Uh, And uh, you know, it's very easy to make these points, right? Labour will will say anything to get in power at this point, and they've smelt blood, and they're they're going for it, and they're shameless about it. And actually, I think for people who don't follow every twist and turn of politics, it's not that much of an issue. But I think one observation I've made is we've definitely got to that point, haven't we, Paul? Where where these points, these the hypocrisy stories, the pointing out that they said one thing a month ago and now they're saying the opposite. They're not sticking anymore because I think the lobby have seen which way the wind is blowing and they're actually not that interested now in in going after Labour because it just you know, it's not going to help them when if Labour get into power and they want some exclusives from Downing Street. And well, I think As, some, it speaks to as it. somebody's
1: been through the cycle of changes of government and changes of regimes a couple of times, you see how uh, the lobby speaks truth to power is an exaggeration they bend on one knee to power and particularly with someone on the rise they don't want to um, damage their relationship with the, the people coming into power it's the same in sports journalism actually you know the the main sports reporters will never upset the big sports stars because they want access and if you write a negative story about some uh premier league footballer you'll be denied access so Sports reporting and lobby journalism are absolutely weak with people who are on the up, and they never, or very rarely, do they damage their relationships. That's why quite often the the scandal stories are handed over to the news desk rather than the political teams.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, um, I think the Telegraph at the moment is a very funny example. I mean, they've just got how many times have they splashed on sort of labor policies over the last week or accepted things it's very obvious and i don't doubt that after a couple of years in downing street the the right wing press will be back to their old um, their old muckraking but um, it, you know labor's got a huge amount of freedom to sort of do what they want at the moment because these these hypocrisy stories are just not sticking right well, let's change subject completely now tory seat
1: selections and the general situation with Tories standing down, uh, boundary changes—it's causing a lot of friction, uh, which is all great fun and and panic, I'd say, on in the Tory ranks. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, this is this is twofold. Firstly, um, you've got a lot of Tory MPs—you um, know, old guard grandees, if we want to use that—that journalist standing down because they can see what's going to happen at the next election and. You know, some unbelievably safe Tory seats are going to be um, annihilated by Labour. I think we're going to have quite a few Portillo moments. So, you've got, on the one hand, you've got a lot of vacancies coming up. Uh, we we announced, we revealed this week that George Eustace, former DEFRA secretary, is, is stepping down at the next election. And you've got the boundary review, uh, which, whilst unlike previous boundary reviews, isn't reducing the overall number of constituencies, uh, certain regions are seeing reductions. So, uh, the big story at the moment is Suella Braverman, and she's down in uh, Hampshire, and there's a battle going on between her Fareham constituency and Flick Drummond, who's a neighbouring MP. And the problem here is that CCHQ were thinking, well, she's the Home Secretary, it's cut and dry, it'll be easy. But the problem is that because of the way the boundaries have been divvied up, Flick Drummond's constituency comprises more of the new one. So she's got very loyal association is members. My understanding is she's
1: fighting quite hard and uh, mm. sharp elbows are hitting people in the ribs. So... That is definitely going to be one to watch. Exactly. And it, it's not like they can say, oh, don't worry, we'll give you this other safe seat because there's no safe <laughs> seats.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? We're looking at seats with 15, 16, 17,000 majorities. Do you think, I mean, it, it almost looks like bald men fighting over a comb given the polling. Daniel Kowinski is in a slightly different position. His,
1: his constituent association or elements of it seem to want rid of him. Is the seat safe?
0: uh i wouldn't say it's the safest in shropshire but given that um owen patterson was a neighboring constituency mp with a 20 odd thousand majority who managed to lose it to the lib dems in a by-election it certainly certainly isn't safe i mean you know daniel kaczynski <laughs> uh, if you want a positive um, fact he's the tallest mp if you want a negative fact you'd see any any of the stories written about him over the last three years he's a He's an interesting character. He's and, the MP um, for Riyadh, isn't
1: he? Saudi he's,
0: Arabia. He's, he is, yes. Um, I think he's also the MP who charged the taxpayer quite a few thousands for Polish lessons, even though he claims to already speak it fluently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, his his constituency association, it seems like there was a, a coup attempt. He managed to gerrymander things, so he stayed on. And as a result, there have been half a dozen resignations and uh, you know george it, eustace going 25 years he said he'd done and that's enough and... george eustace yes the 16th tory mp to announce they're stepping down along with matt hancock and uh, a few others and uh, another one we reported this week up in the up in the northwest you've got workington versus wokington as we described it you've got mark jenkinson who is the epitome of the red wall he's built like a uh, he's built like a rugby player. Um, he's a he's a brexiteer. He's a true Boris Becker. Um, trying to fight for a seat against a guy called um, Neil Hudson, who is a complete wet, a favourite amongst Labour MPs. Uh, uh, you know, a, a liberal and a Remainer. So, um, it will be very interesting to see to see how that plays out. Neil Hudson, by the way, replaced Rory Stewart. So, quite a like for like. I think his is here, okay. so he should have um
1: I follow that Tory Crowd, Polling Report UK, and according to them, 180 Tory seats are going to get lost on current polling bases. I mean, seats like uh, Jacob Rees- Rees-Mogg, Boris Johnson, uh, Dominic Raab are all going to be lost. Uh, Ian, IDS, you know, it's oh it certainly c- could be quite. You say Portillo moment? There could be, you know, a whole Portillo mm.
0: regiment. I mean, I mean, we've seen I, I, this, this won't happen, but to the extent of, of uniform swings and, and the sort of poll leads we've seen for Labour, there have been a couple of um, polls since Rishi became Prime Minister in which he's projected to lose his own, you know, 25,000 majority safe seat in North Yorkshire. I mean, it, it, it's going to be an absolute wipeout. And as someone like for me, who only became sort of politically aware in, in 2013, you had a lot of seats that became very were marginally won by the Tories in in two thousand and ten, which built up these huge majorities um over the subsequent sort of seven years. And uh, and are now just they're just gonna fall by the wayside. And the, um, the voters are
1: very fickle at the moment. My,
0: my my contract book is gonna become largely redundant, so that's that's <laughs> my to do list to sort out ahead of the next election.
1: Um uh, one thing I've seen all the speculation about Boris. That someone um, uh, close to Boris tells me that Boris is definitely going to go down with the ship if the ship indeed does go down and not do a chicken run. He is going to fight Uxbridge uh, and you know go down manfully if he has to. So I would I would discount all the speculation about him doing a chicken run.
0: Well, we can certainly hold you to that. Uh, and uh, as ever, we haven't we haven't even managed to talk about the Boris news this week. But I'm sure there'll be I'm sure there'll be reams of pages of of news reports about Boris to talk about next week. So that's all for this week. Let's see you again next week. Thank you very much.